0: Here's a place on the end with Travis. Uh, Somebody can sit there between Noble and Paul. Sit down over there. Guys, there's a couple places over here
1: too. There's
0: room. Everything's vanity. Now vanity means what? What does vanity mean? Emptiness. There's really no meaning, purpose, substance, value in the things that happen in this life. Uh, Now, that's what he's limiting his field of investigation to, is stuff under the sun. And he's showing us that things here in in this life are empty, so that we'll look beyond the sun to God and spiritual things as the things that are going to fill us up and really give us something to take hold of in this life. And what Solomon, we're going to say for now, has done is he's experimented with different things that you might think would fill you up in the not done. It. And uh, he's looked at already some of the things that frustrate us about life, like the fact that we all die, the fact that we don't know what's going to happen, we don't control what's happening. The fact that um, there's a lot of injustice and oppression and things like that. And uh, so, that's kind of some of what we've looked at already. We're ready to start in 5.10. And this is a really practical section, I think, for us. So would somebody let read chapter 5, verses 10 to 17?
2: He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves a funding school with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners, except to, to look on? They sleep, they sleep. The sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But so the full stomach of the rich man is not, does not not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which he I have seen under the sun, which is being ported by the owner to his first. When these when those riches were lost through bad investment and he fathered his son, then there was nothing to support him. As um, as he had become naked from his mother's womb, so will he return um, as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of the labor that he that he can carry in his hand. He is also the greatest evil, exactly as a man is born, thus will die. As he will die. So what advantage to him to toils, um, for the
1: wind.
2: Uh, one more. Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great
0: uh, ve- vexation. And a- <laughs> you know, in our culture, the thing people think is going to really give them meaning and substance is possession, money, and uh, things. And he's showing them that that's not true. In verse 10, what does he say about money and uh, things? Be yeah, they are very satisfied. You know, they never deliver what you think they're going to because all you want is more. You know, you think if I just had this, I'd be
1: happy. If
0: I just had that, I'd be happy. Have you lived long enough to realize that that's not true? That you think that, but once you get it, you want more? It's kind of it. You know, it's kind of a mirage. You think, wow, this is all I ever want, but it never is like that. There's a lot of negative about possession. Uh, look at verse 11. What happens? The more we get, what
1: happens?
0: The more we want. Not just the more we want. The more people there are to spend. Now think about that a second. If you have a lot more money, who are the people that that money will start going to?
3: Servants. Workers.
0: And? Bad boy, you probably have a lot more than you thought if you were ever to get a whole lot of money. Government. The government about accountants, and lawyers, and investment advisors, and insurance agents, and a whole bunch of old friends you didn't know you had, and all kinds of things like that. There's lots of parasites. You know, the more you got, the more things there are to do with what you got. And, uh, you know, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep is your downfall. You know, the more you got, the more it takes to maintain what you've got. And uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle. It's kind of weird how that works,
3: but it is.
0: It never seems to be what you think it'll be. Uh, verse 12. What else does a rich man have a problem with? Sleeping. Sleeping. Why? Yeah. Worried about the money, worried about losing the money. You know, you... So you're, you know, um, I don't know, uh, any of you have any investments in the uh, stock market and 401k and all that? None of you? So uh, have, have you really been uh, following very attentively all the news of the stock market going down and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Any of you drive? Uh, did you pay for your own gas? Do gas prices matter to you? You look at that? Yeah! See how that is? You know, the more you have and you the more things you've got to spend it on, the more you're involved in financial things. Those guys of you who don't drive. Do you really think much about gas prices? Oh, Tasha? Do you know what the gas prices
3: are?
0: You care? Yeah. Why would she? She's not buying gas. You know, it, it kind of depends on sort of where we're at, and uh, the, more we, the more we have, the more worries we have. You know, the poor guy doesn't have any possessions to lose. You reckon a beggar keeps insurance on himself? You know, does a beggar worry about the heaps coming in? I'll tell you, you know, my situation's really cool. Uh I don't ever lock my house. Sometimes Andrew locks it at night. We never if we can be gone for a week, we don't lock the house. Because you know if you don't have anything anybody wants. It's really cool. When I was in Brazil, and we didn't live in a very nice house, but it was nice so been a lot of Brazilians. We were locking the house, worried about somebody coming in. You know, my cars, some of you know about my cars. You know, I don't ever Part of the time, I'll leave the keys in them, you know? I mean, who wants something that's barely running and, you know, 15 or 20 years old? You know, if they take it off my head, that's a good deal. You know, I mean, it didn't cost me anything. Most of them, you know, $500 or less, you know? So, it's getting locked. <laughs> Wouldn't amount too much, but no seemed to want it. You know, you don't worry about that. But when I was in Brazil, I had this old van, but nobody has cars in Brazil and that uh, it was trying somebody tried to hot wire it i was always thinking somebody's going to try to steal it you know i mean the more you've got the more you worry about it when you don't have it you don't worry about it you know when i load my cars out people i don't worry about if they wreck them or not I don't worry about them. Hurt. but if they wreck the car it's not a big deal you know one more thing they make anyway the more you got the more anxiety you have now you know it, aren't those things true and then you've got the factor in 13 and 14 15. Here's kind of a case study. You know, have you ever seen a rich guy? What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen to somebody who's got something? Yeah, that's a real bummer. You know, because it's like it would be easier not to have it than to have it and lose it. Think about this one. Now you guys, some of you work, but you can at least conceptualize this. What if you're working at a job where you're making 8 bucks an hour, and whatever company you're working for gets bought out by some big multinational company, and they bump your salary up to 14 bucks an hour. Whoa, oh, how would you feel? You work for a couple of years at 14 and then economic hard times hit and they drop it back down to 11. After a couple of years at 14, how are you going to feel if they drop it back down to 11? Yeah, terrible. What am I going to do? How am I going to, how going to pay the payments? Are you just going to feel all, you know, panic city? You know, but what if you stayed at eight for those two years and they bump you up to 11? How would you feel? Yeah. You see, when you have something and you lose it, it's horrible. If you never had it, then you don't miss it. So the worst thing that you can, you got a lot and then you lose it. That's really horrible. There's so many downsides of riches. And the fact is, what happens when you die? (laughs) Obviously. Any pockets in a shroud? Ever seen a uh, funeral verse with a U-Haul? <laughs> you don't take it with you. Um, so, you know, witches are, are this barrage. They give you the illusion of something that's really going to fill you up. But they don't do it. They're, still, they're empty. and And they're not going to satisfy you. They're still vanity. They don't look like it because we always think if I just had this, I'd be happy. Doesn't work that Comments and thoughts on this? We're still on the same basic idea. Would somebody read
3: 518
2: to 6.6? Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but he has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place.
0: And this is really insightful. He comes back in an F518 to the basic idea that the best thing you'll get out of life is to enjoy the moment, to eat and drink. But he really, he divides things up. There's two items. There's the possessions, and there's the ability to enjoy the possessions. Having something does not automatically give you the ability to enjoy it. Who gives you the ability to enjoy it? Ah, Look at verse 19. Furthermore, for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Look at 6.2. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all the desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. See, there's one thing to have them. It's another thing to eat from them one thing to have them. It's another thing to enjoy them. Now, it's another thing to be fulfilled by them. That's not going to happen. They're bad. But, God does give to some people the blessing of enjoying them. Now, the person who has the blessing of enjoying them is the person who's not trying to find fulfillment in them. Trying to find fulfillment in those things, you're going to be depressed because it's not going to happen. If your fulfillment is in the Lord, perhaps God will give you not only the possessions, but the ability to enjoy them. Now think about this. Would all of it, would you, what if I said, you know, um, I I had the ability to give you a million dollars if you want it. If you don't want it, I won't give it to you. But if you want it, I got a million dollars and you can have it. You know, not pay taxes, you know, it's just a million dollars quick. But, I, if that was a real offer, how many of you would take a million dollars, honestly? Yeah. Almost all of you. I sure would. <laughs> Somebody gave me that offer. Um, and you'd be happy about getting that offer, wouldn't you? I would. Uh, but what if I uh, added a couple of details to that? At the same time I'm giving you a million dollars, uh, you get some terrible disease that you're in the hospital the rest of your life, in the nursing home. That's one of the conditions for getting a million dollars. Now, if you knew that, how many of you want the million dollars if it came with the rest of your life in the hospital or nursing home feeling terrible? You still want the million dollars? No, because you see, what does it do to have a million dollars if you can't enjoy it? Or, you know, there could be other kinds of things. Maybe you've got a miserable family life. You marry some horrible person who just makes your life a torment. You have kids that turn out to be terrible. And they grieve you every day. So forth and so on. There's all these things. that are other factors that God controls. So what he's saying is, we focus on getting the stuff. But there's one thing to get it. It's another thing to enjoy it. And the only people that will enjoy it is the people that God gives the gift of enjoying it to. And one of the factors in that is you don't put too much stock in it. If it means too much to you, you'll never enjoy it. Because you're trying to find something out and give it, you. and always be frustrated. Do you have comments and questions
3: to this point? Does that make some sense? Yes. Um, I think maybe
2: we don't even necessarily have to have a whole lot to be doing that with our riches. You know, we might not have a million dollars, but we're still, you know, oh man, I, I can't let this go, I gotta get more,
0: you know. You're gonna have absolutely nothing. But if that's what your heart's set on is getting it, it's still empty. That's exactly right. It's not so much a factor of what you have, but what your attitude is, Jordan. Thank you. That's a good point. Other thoughts? All right, 7 to 12.
3: All man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. But what advantage does the live man have over the fool? What advantage does a poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eye see is better than what the soul desires. This, too, is futility, and striving after the living. Whatever exists has already been made, it has moved and it is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. There are many words which he treats futility. What, what, then, is the advantage to man? Well, who knows what is good for a man during his life. In a few years in his feudal life, he will spend them like a shadow. Who can tell a man what
0: will be after him under the sun? Okay, I'm just gonna make a couple points off of this section. In verse 7, you work to eat, and you eat so you can work. Kind of this vicious, vicious cycle, but you're never really filled up. What you do and what you get will never satisfy you. That's his point. Now look at verse uh, nine. What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. Do you understand what that means? Yes. In a way, that's exactly what he's talking about. What the eyes see is better than what the heart desires. In other words, what you've got is better than what you want to have. You know, what's in your hand is better than what you'd like to have, but you don't have it. There are a lot of people who are always waiting to live their life. You've never thought about that? You know, they're young and they can't wait to get their driver's license. That's when life will start. When I get my license, Well what happens when I get their license? Then, when I get out of school. Then my life, that's what I'm looking for. When I get out of school, then it'll... Well, then it's when I get a job. You when know, I get a job then. Then when I get married. You know, when I finally get married, then my life will start. Well, then it's when I have kids. And then it's when kids leave. <laughs> and uh, then it's when I retire. And we're always waiting for our life to start. It's always when something else happens, that's when life will begin. So we've been our whole life looking for something else to happen before we really start living. Well, what happens in all that time?
1: Life passes by.
0: Exactly. We waste what we have. We don't use it. We're always craving something we don't have. You know when your life is it's right now it's today don't live for what you want to happen live for right now making the best you can of this day I've done way too much waiting to live it's not a wise move you never get it it's always something else you to comments and thoughts on that section those ideas there's some pretty practical things for us, I think. Now, we're going to come to chapter 7. In chapter 7, we're, we're really back primarily in some practical wisdom for this life. Some really good stuff. Verses 1 to 4. It is better to have respect than good person. The day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a funeral
1: than to a party. Uh, we all must that, and everyone living should think about this sorrow is better than laughter and sadness has a good influence on you a wise person thinks about death but a fool thinks only about having a good time
0: this is kind of a shocking passage first verse not so much first part especially it's better to have a good name than have good perfume now what does a good name mean? good reputation that is valuable that means a lot a lot more important than you know, what you smell like or other things to be considered. Um, and the day of one's death—not that you should you know try some deodorant now and then—but um, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. I don't know. I'm not sure we'd have thought it that way, but uh, it's better to complete something than to start it. And uh, if you're a faithful Christian, it's really better the day of your death than the day of your birth. But then look at verse two. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Tell me if you'd rather go to a funeral than a party. Anybody rather go to the funeral? So why did he say this? It shows us
2: the vanity of life.
0: It does. It makes us reflect on what life's really all about. You know what life's about? Preparing to die. What it's really about. Now, nobody would rather go to a funeral than a party, unless you're really morbid. You know, but but it makes you think. You know, it helps shape your character. The party doesn't really help you, it's just fun. The funeral helps you. I remember in the early 90s, I was in a church in Athens, Alabama everybody in Athens, Alabama is related and they've all known each other for all their lives standard joke in North Alabama is, if two people get a divorce are they still cousins Um, (laughs) uh,
3: so I
0: went to, I mean I was at the funeral home, sometimes it seemed like twice a week, I went to more funerals there than I've been to in my life you know, all the time somebody was dying was related to somebody in the congregation it was a pretty big church there's quite a few older people in the church too there's quite a few people who've died out of church as well so I was always in a funeral, home, attending a funeral, bridging a funeral, whatever I didn't like that I really don't care for those kind of things I mean I don't like I have a, more of a fear of a dead body or something but it, it's depressing but it was really good for me I just ha- kept having to think you know, oh, this, is, this, is, this is reality and even though I didn't like it I really do think it, it was better for me We're we're way too eager to have fun and not really come to grips with what life is all about, which is death. And uh, he says in verse 3, and this one's even worse, sorrow is better than laughter. (laughs) You wouldn't think that, would you? But... But when you're laughing, you're not reflecting. It's kind of like a narcotic that numbs the pain, kind of numbs the reality. When a face is sad, a heart may be happy. When you really deal with things seriously, it actually makes you more happy on the inside than if you're trying to laugh everything off and go through life having a great old time. Um, Comments and questions on this section. Guys, go to more funerals. You are that slightly kind of cheek, but seriously, being more sober and serious and not always, you know what people do today. Why are people always, think about this, how many moments other than sleeping maybe do you spend with no noise? Do you notice that? What do you do when you get up in the morning? How many of you, from the time you get up, till the time you like start your day in school or work or whatever, how many of you spend that whole time without ever turning on anything to make noise? Any of you spend that time until you go to work or school without turning anything on to make noise? Nobody? That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? I wouldn't have thought it would have been nobody. And pretty much from then on out, it's noise. I mean, maybe you spend some time studying the Bible Or praying. But why is it that we always want noise? Why is it that we always want activity? I say because we don't want to think. We don't want to reflect. We don't want to really have to confront serious, sober things in life. We want to always be laughing so we don't have to be serious. We always want to be entertained and escape from the reality of life. Comments and thoughts about that? Okay, verses 5-7. to It's better to listen to the rebuke of
3: a wise
1: man than for one to listen to the sign of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool, and this too is futility. For oppression makes the wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart.
0: Okay, so it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than the song of fools. You ever been rebuked by a wise man? Yes. Yes. How does it feel? (laughs) (laughs) It's intimidating and kind of gets it out. Yeah it's not fun a man i can remember some rebukes i've received i've hated it It makes me feel really bad (laughs) there's one brother in the congregation right now who's really probably the strongest brother in the congregation really great guy but he's very direct and honest with me and probably with others as well every once in a while i'll say i got something i need to talk to you about it's like Oh, what did I do? Now, part of the time, it's not anything about me. You know, sometimes it's even—he's very open about things he's struggling with himself. Uh, really good man. But I respect him a lot. When he's got something to say to me about something I've done wrong, he's almost always right. But it's horrible. I hate it. But I need it. It's so much better. I try to always—really hard for me to do this—to encourage him. To tell me anything he thinks I need to hear. I try to react really well when he rebukes me. We need those things. They're just really hard. It's hard to want them. It's it's, it's more fun the laughter of the fool, you know, having a good old time, having a lot of fun. It's a whole lot, a whole lot more pleasant at the moment. But he says, really, that's like the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. You ever built a fire? You know, what if you got a bunch of thin, dry branches—if you can call them that—twigs up a thorn bush? You light a fire to those dry, thorny branches. What would happen when you lit a fire to those things? Maybe anything with fire. How would it work? What would
3: happen?
0: Burn up, go push. It uh, burn up, and how would it burn at first? Big big. Oh, yeah. Big and sparks and splutters and noises and crackles and be like Rice Krispies, you know, snap, crackle, pop. You know, it'd just be be impressive for about how long? Two minutes. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, then it's over. You know, that's the thing. It's the laugh of the fool. Oh, it's a big splash. But there's no substance to it. The rebuke of the wise man, that'll stick with you and it'll help you. We probably need to open ourselves up more to rebuke of wise men. Here's something I notice. Do you ever go to anybody for advice when you got a problem? You do, don't you, sometimes? Who do you go to for advice? Your parents? That's a good choice, usually. Who would you go to for advice? Someone stronger than myself. That would be a good choice. Tend to get Your friends. friends? Which friends? Oh, probably the ones who are us. Yes, and the ones you feel most comfortable with. Do some of you relate to that? That may or may not be a good choice. Sometimes the friends we feel most comfortable with, why do we feel most comfortable with them?
1: That's exactly
0: right. We like what they tell us. They make us feel good. They don't necessarily make us better. You know, when we need to open up about something, going to somebody that we think is going to tell us, oh, it's fine, you know, it's no problem, you're not really doing anything wrong, you don't have to worry about it, that's a lot more comforting. That's who we want to go to. We're much better off going to the people we see as stronger than we are. Who will probably help us, even though they may make us feel worse. That's a good thing for us to think about. These are good, wise principles about this life. Thoughts and comments on 5 and 6? On those ideas?
1: Gary, could I invite Feel free. I guess this is easier to say than to do. But if we can always remember when somebody's trying to help us and correct us, we should say, well, thank you very much. I needed that. Rather than going, well, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? And it's like a guided missile. If a guided missile doesn't get corrected, it's going to miss the target. So we get corrected, it's like, oh, good, thanks for getting me back on track. If we take it in a positive way, that we say, fantastic, that is going to help me tremendously. Thanks for pointing that out. Now, again, it's easy to say that, but if we can keep that... Like, okay, I appreciate that. Rather than don't tell me what to do, turn that around. Anyway, just a thought.
0: Well, and that is helpful in the long run, too.
1: What happens
0: with people that are very touchy, very sensitive, and you know they're probably going to blow up if you try to talk to them about anything? What do you tend to do with those people? Avoid. Avoid, you don't talk to them. You don't tell them what they need to hear because you know they'll probably get their feelings hurt. They'll probably be really upset. Those guys don't ever hear what they need to hear because they develop a reputation. I think this, this is hard too. Sometimes you get advice that may not be totally accurate. Sometimes somebody may have misunderstood something. Or sometimes their advice may not be totally on target. I still think the best thing to do in that situation is to thank them for their love and concern in coming to you. The next time they come, they may be telling you something you really need to hear. Now, we probably ought to think about it seriously. You know, don't just dismiss the advice. I think that's good, even in our mind. But even if it happened to not be all that relevant or helpful, you sure don't want to get the reputation. As the person who, you better not tell them anything, because they will listen, or they'll get upset, or they'll just tell you off, or they'll get their feelings hurt, and they'll never speak to you again. Those people never get the benefit of the correction. Good point there. Other thoughts? You know, we read seven, and seven tells a couple things that make a wise man's counsel not wise. and bribery. You you can force somebody not to say something wise or sometimes you can bribe them into saying something that's not wise. Wisdom's not fool. There's even some pitfalls that wise people fall into. But in general, it is much better to seek wise counsel than to seek foolish entertainments. Thoughts and comments through 7 then.
3: One of the things we were studying in our cabin a few days ago was that uh, about temptations and one of the things that we can't be too prideful is go to other people if we're in need of help. That's hard isn't it? Sometimes it's hard because we
0: don't want to admit we're in need of help and sometimes it's hard because we're afraid people are going to tell us what we were afraid we needed to hear but we didn't want to hear but it's so much better. We get so much more out of it. There's just a lot of good things for us that are painful. And if we always try to avoid pain, we're never gonna grow.
3: Other thoughts? As it was brought up to me recently and to other people, sometimes we choose to do the things we want to do because if we say step away from the quiet, like you were saying, then we don't have to think about it but sometimes it's good to force yourself in situations where you have to think about it and you have to confront yourself because that's the only way that things will get done
0: It's exactly right just trying to always escape and not deal with ourselves and where we're really at you want to do that you don't want to have to face up to your failures but, but that's it you're much better off dealing with it it's painful but it's better you know, Solomon was not writing about the easiest life. He was writing about the best life. And the life that will ultimately be for Eight to ten.
3: Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For angry anger resteth in the body. The bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause, what the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this.
0: Interesting. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Is it easier to start something or finish it? Start it. But the real value is in being able to finish it. So the end is better than the beginning. Better to be patient than prideful. A lot harder, but patient. patience is better. Uh, don't be angry quickly. And here's one um, manifestation of impatience and anger. Why is it that the former days were better than these? You've probably heard that before, haven't you? you know, it used to be so much better than it is now. Well, you'll probably say that one of these days. But that's not really a very helpful thing to say probably not even a very helpful way to look at things. For one thing, we have to deal with the reality of the present. For another thing, you know when we say that, we're looking back to the best things in the past, the things we want to remember. You know, have you ever heard, you know, the younger generation, you know, they're just not like they used to be? Well, they're not. You know, when I was growing up, when I was in school, was right at the end of the hippie generation. Most of the guys in my school, probably the majority of them, had hair that was fairly long, lots of them, way down their back. And that was right at the end of the riots on college campuses and all sorts of civil rebellion. And in my school, anywhere you went, you could smell the uh, marijuana smoke, you know, in the bathrooms and everywhere. There's probably a whole lot more drugs taken in my school when I was growing up than would be in most of your schools today. You know, you don't you don't hear about that too often. When you think hear about people talking about the way it used to be, there are some things that are worse right now. There's no doubt about that. There's there's good things and bad things, but just living in the past and saying, "Oh, I wish it was like it was then," that's not that's not right. As you get older, don't do that. Deal with the way things are now. Some things will be better, some things will be worse, but it's just impatience to always yearn for the good old days and usually just the good parts that you want to remember of the good old days. Comments and questions through verse 10. You guys may
1: not be as involved in the media as some of these older people are. Let me just warn you, don't believe the media. <laughs> Because they can paint a picture that can be very depressing. And it's just not that way. I got a good friend, and you may know Gary uh, Walker, or Greg Walker. Greg serves in our legislature, and he was up visiting uh, Jeff and Melissa last weekend. And I just asked Greg, I said, "How, how is the battle in the State House? And he said, well, it is a battle. But there's a lot of good people. Because there's a lot of people that know the right things. And he said, we just got to keep working at it. And that encouraged me to know that it's not, you know, in a handbasket going down the river. Um, and we must have a confidence that God is in control, and He does place people in those positions. And so don't get, don't get, um, don't give up on where we're headed. I don't see Yeah, exactly. be totally
0: what, Yeah, I think so. I think we like to talk about how bad it is. You know, used to be better, but so bad now. I think that gets to be kind of a habit for us. And he's saying, that's not really practical. That's not very valuable. That's not a good way to live this life. You know, much better to deal with reality. Let's work on the things that need to be worked on. This idea, I just wish it was like it used to be. What is it? You know, that's that's just impatience. Yes? Yes. In uh, verse first where said,
1: have an thing to At least they're they're related.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know that he's just talking about your life in verse eight. But but yeah, when you come to the end of anything, you know, it's better to have completed it than to start. It seems like that point is very emphasized. I agree. Good point. Other thoughts? Right, eleven to fourteen.
3: Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see see the sun. For the prediction of wisdom is like the prediction of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what He has made perfect. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God is, has made the one as well as the other." So, that means, by... So, that man may not find out anything that will be after them. Okay. Verse 11 and 12. Two things that
0: kind of help you out and protect your life. What are they? Wisdom and money. Do wisdom and money kind of protect you? Money's sort of a protection, isn't it? Kind of insulates you from some of the ups and downs in life. Wisdom does too. Between wisdom and money, which will help you out the most? Yeah, what it does best, because you'll live longer. You know, money may help you out, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, keep you out of jabs that'll, you know, cost your life. But both of them tend to protect you. They tend to kind of, um, you know, uh, be shock absorbers in life. But neither one of them can change things that God has fixed and determined. You know, as he says in 13, who is able to straighten the things God bent? You know, while wisdom and money both might give you some protection, either one of them is really going to to change fundamental things. You know, some days are going to be prosperous, some days are going to be bad. God made them all. You're going to have to live it. Don't think that there's some guarantee, some formula, this will make me happy. This will make everything smooth all the, all my life. There's nothing like that. You're going to have some good days, and you're going to have some bad days. I don't care who you are, or how wise you are, or how rich you are. Comments and questions? That's a prediction. Uh, I don't know. May I have- Do you see the practical value of this book? I mean, some of these things are really good things. Go back and, you know, when we're done with this, this week, study through Ecclesiastes. You won't understand every detail, but some of these things are pretty easy to get, and they're really practical. These are good, solemn lessons for our lives. Thoughts through 14? Well, you said that we will have our good days and our bad days, but they all come to God.
3: times, um, when we have bad days, we want to pin it on someone, <laughs> you know, whether it be ourselves, we, we get selfish and think, well, this is what I do wrong or whatever, or even to the extent sometimes we get frustrated with the work we having, us go through sometimes. And it just comes down to, God was kind enough to give me this day, let's give it back to him.
1: And whether there are and strength that he gave
0: Would it be better if God chose to only give us good days? Why not? Something to straighten yeah. us out Yeah what, Nothing to straighten us out yeah, We wouldn't
1: appreciate
0: that Yeah We wouldn't appreciate
3: them I mean No we wouldn't appreciate it the sunny day we had yesterday if we didn't have days like these when it was raining. You see the contrast between the two and it really makes us thankful for what we have and, and appreciate the good days. That's really true. I think there are a
0: couple other big advantages to bad days. You learn. What? You
1: learn.
0: You learn? Yeah, you do. You do learn. You can also
2: stronger. The um, you only you're testing and you get you get tested and that, before you grow from that you get stronger like you resisted one temptation and then next time you have to do that you can
0: um, face it stronger what would happen to a kid who never ever had any disappointments no sadness no pain nothing negative spoiled he would expect he'd He'd expect everything wonderful He'd think life was all about him he had be self-centered he'd be totally wimpy you know wouldn't he man you know you'd just be so nothing if that's the way you are you know the adversity makes us stronger makes us tougher makes us better I'll tell you something. You look around. I'm not wishing this on anybody. But you look. You didn't even look at this camera, suspect. The kids that are the most resilient, probably that are the most mature, and that are the toughest, the kids that can go through anything here and it doesn't face them, are they the kids that have had the most wonderful, sheltering, encouraging, protecting environments, are those the ones that are really tough here and they can handle everything and that nothing bothers them? Probably not. And yeah, there's some individual exceptions. But but especially when you're younger, some of the most mature kids who can handle the most to the kids who've had the most trauma and difficulty in their life to deal with. Some of the kids with the most unstable families. I don't wish an unstable family. There's blessings in having to but, but the more adversity person you have to deal with it, the tougher you get. Especially if it does not break you. And here's the other thing. What would you think if everything was always good? Would you ever want to go to heaven? I think that's our problem right now. You know, honestly. Honestly. If you need to go to heaven right now, but you have to get the rest of the camera. The rest of your year. The rest of your life. How many honestly would immediately jump to go to heaven right now? Some, about half of us said honestly we would. I mean, I think there's a challenge for us. I hope I would. I'm not sure I would. We got it too good. We may not we may not have had enough days of adversity. You know, the more days of adversity we have, the more we want to with the more. The better it is for us, the more comfortable we feel here, the more secure we are here. There's a lot of good things about the days of adversity. You know, accept them all. And profit by them. Other comments and thoughts. This next section is a little challenging. 15 to
1: 22. In my vain life I have seen everything. There are the righteous man who perishes in your second. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life and has evil too. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, you may be a fool. I should you be die before your time? It is good that you should take of this, because that and hold not your name. For the one who hears shall come out from the deep. It is in good strength for life, and more than ten years Surely there is not righteousness in a person who does good and that true. Do not take to heart all the things that you say, as you hear me say it. Your heart knows that many times you yourself. Now will we? Yes. So, how
0: does, you know, what happens to a righteous man? Always, everything always goes well for it. Wicked man, everything blows up in his face. That's that the way it works?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Know any wicked men who seem to do pretty well in life? Who seem to live a long time and be rich and healthy and all that? Know any righteous people who suffer a lot? Is that right? Is that fair? Is that the way it ought to be? That's one of the frustrating factors of life. Wisdom and righteousness will not guarantee success. Don't you think that? Well, I've just been so good. How can this ever possibly happen to me? He says, "Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise." I think his point is, don't trust in righteousness and wisdom too much. Don't think this is a formula, a magic formula to guarantee success and that everything will be fine. It does not work that way. You know, don't be excessively wicked, don't be a fool. I mean, you know, if you're excessively wicked and foolish, you probably are going to die before your time. You know, that's a pretty good way to ensure a short life. But just be excessively righteous and wise... It's not going to mean everything's going to be wonderful for you. It doesn't work that way. Um, Comments and questions through 18. That's a tough passage. Wisdom strengthens a city more than ten rulers. That's true. And then I love verses 20 to 22. There's not a righteous man on earth who never sins. Isn't that true? Show me one person that never sins. Do you believe that? Who do you look up to the most here at camp? Even among the the staff. You reckon John Babcock ever sins? You reckon Tom Hamilton ever sins? You know, you reckon the best kids that you respect the most here ever sin? Of course. There's nobody who always does the right thing. So don't be so taken aback when you see somebody do wrong. You hear your servant cursing you. Don't take it too seriously. You ever said anything about somebody you hope didn't get back to them? Maybe anything that you didn't mean that seriously, you were just upset right at the time. You know, take everything with a grain of salt. You know, you know you sin. Don't be so shocked when you find out somebody else does. Unfortunately, we put on enough of a front, it may almost appear that some people don't sin. But that isn't the case. We're not all that much different. All right, coming to question 22. Seems like the righteous men are
3: exactly the pictures, I guess. You know, you know, I guess we're, we're, categorized or, we're categorized as being righteous, but it's really.
2: We're
0: all sinners, we're all wicked in some way or some degree. That's true. It's not an excuse, but it is a reality that ought to give us some patience when people wrong us. 23 to 29.
3: (laughs) I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise, but it is far from me what has, what has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. I can discover it, or who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of the folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets whose hands are chains, one who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking, but I have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices.
0: Just how wise
3: was the preacher?
0: Is he presented as wise in this book? Yes. How much investigating had he done? A lot. Extensive. Had he figured everything out? No. That's an important lesson. There are limits to what we can understand. Absolute wisdom is not in our grasp. You know, he said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. There are so many remote and mysterious things that you just can't discover. You know, he figured some things out, but there were a lot of things he still couldn't understand. You don't have all the answers. You'll never have all the answers. You cannot find Ultimate wisdom. You'll never know it all. You'll never understand everything. We're not. We're not going to. Don't think. Well, if I could just find this out, then I'd know it all. You'll never know. Nobody ever does. You know, he did find some things out. Warned about the woman. I suspect the woman here may well be foolishness, human philosophy. That may be what he's talking about with the woman in verse 26. He figured out almost nobody wise, pretty much non-existent. And it's not God's fault in verse 29. Who caused man to be unjust? We did. He made us upright. And we're the ones that perverted our course. Comments and questions on chapter 7. It's
2: seems really interesting that he says to not be overly wise.
0: Or righteous. That it doesn't seem to make sense. I wondered if somebody would say that. That's a complicated thing. What I think he's saying in the context in 7:15, he said, "There's I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his right life in his wickedness. If you think that you're righteous and wise enough." You won't die. You'll, everything will go well. No. Don't do that. Don't think I can just, I can just really get, I can get so much righteousness and wisdom, nothing, I'll have perfect success, nothing else will be a problem. But on the other hand, don't be excessively wicked. You know, if you want to live a long life, be a really foolish stupid, you probably will shorten your life doing that. But if you want to live a long life, just, you know, being infinitely wise and righteous isn't necessarily going to help. So I think he's not saying, don't pursue righteousness and wisdom. He's saying that's no guarantee to prolong your life or give you success. In the context, I think that's what he's saying. Other questions and comments on chapter 7? Now, let me just summarize a little bit in chapter 8. I don't think I'm going to try to uh, have us read that. Um, But chapter 8 talks about how there's so many things we can't control. One thing you don't control the king, and you better listen to him, or he'll probably exercise his wrath on you. And there's so many just, uh, you know, fixed things we don't control. You know, verse 8, you don't determine the day of your death don't uh, restrain the wind probably means you don't retain your spirit when the spirit will say in Hebrew there's a lot of things you don't control you know Uh, and that's kind of frustrating there's a lot of injustice in the world nine to twelve and that's frustrating he just talks about all the frustrating things about life in life are the, the best man always win no virtue is not always rewarded life is just frustrating in a lot of situations, and we still won't understand everything. So chapter 8 is just talking again about all the frustrating factors in life. The fact that we don't control things, and the fact that there is so much injustice and so many things wrong are just frustrating things. Comments and questions through chapter 8. That was the quickest treatment of chapter 8 you've ever seen. heart chapter 9 he says you don't know by what happens whether or not God
3: respects
0: you or not there's no rules that guarantee success look at one two and three that's really what he's saying the same thing ultimately happens to everybody you know you can't just be a certain way and avoid difficulties Prosperity and success don't necessarily mean God's happy with you. And uh, suffering and poverty don't necessarily mean God's not happy with you. There's no formula for everything to be successful and wonderful. All right. That brings us up to 9-4. I think that's where we'll start tomorrow, for those of you who will still be in the class tomorrow. Thank you for your attention. I know it's a bit more distracting out here, and I know we're all sleeping, but you did good. Thank
2: you for that.